Welcome to the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council with hosts Grace Evans and Moses Bratchard. Stay informed on the top stories on life, family, and religious freedom. Get the facts, stand for truth. Hello and welcome back to the Family Beacon Podcast. I'm Grace Evans. I'm here with Moses Bratchard. Today we are going to be talking about a very exciting topic, something Moses has spent so much time researching, writing, praying about. How about I let you talk about it, actually? He wrote a dissertation. Oh, my goodness. Guys. I did. I, what's the <laughs> title? I'm done. What's the title of it? Because I don't even know the exact title. Yeah, yeah. So the title is The Tide of Unbelief, Evangelical Responses to the Victorian Crisis of Faith, 1850 to 1875. Mm. So I'm let so me back excited. up. Let yeah, me back yeah. up. Because yeah. um, I just finished my master's degree in history yep. from the University of Edinburgh, which is so... Oh my gosh, I just I just can't believe it's done. And um, so, yeah, so as we've yep. been launching this podcast and as I've been uh, raising my daughter and working full time and um, and all that, I have also um, got a master's degree. And I just, just want to say Moses 2, Grace 0.5, because I have an associate's and he has a master's. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that comes through. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear more about your dissertation because he yeah. said some things in the office uh, in passing just and I've known he's been working on it for a long time and I think that's so amazing. But I've, I haven't actually sat down, had a conversation purely about this. Yeah. So I think it'll be really applicable for our audience. And yeah, let me talk about that because yeah. I think it, I mean, if you're, if you're uh, not super interested in academic stuff, you might be thinking, why would this dissertation be interesting to me? I'm just... I'm just someone trying to live my Christian life and get informed on the issues that matter. Fair enough. But essentially, my dissertation is about religious doubt. And Mm. um, that's an issue that's very close to my heart, and I'll talk about that. And um, I wrote it not as some academic, you know, I'm not saying it's the most exciting read in the world, but I'm writing it as a Christian. And part of my audience is anyone who uh, comes across it who might find it helpful to talk about religious doubt from a Christian perspective. So um, so that's why we're talking about it today, not because history is so interesting or the topic of this podcast, although I think it is interesting, and if it were up to me, it might be the topic of this podcast, but we're, we, I want to talk about this because religious doubt is something that, um, like grief, mm-hmm. is going to hit you or someone you know is almost inevitable. So um, let's be prepared. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear about it. So Moses, I really just want to hear kind of what was your thought process going into this? How did you decide on that topic when you were, I mean, I'm sure you were thinking through a bunch of different ideas. I'm sure you had different ideas, but you eventually settled on this topic, came to this. And I've, I've written a thesis before in high school a long time ago, but I, it was hard for me to find a topic because there were so many things I was interested in. So why this one? How did it stand out to you? So um, I guess probably I chose to write about religious doubt because, because I myself have gone through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went through a, a time period, and this is going to be sharing time, uh, trigger warning, religious doubt. <laughs> um, I, in about November 2014, actually, mm-hmm. I remember specifically, it was November 13th, 2014, I was driving home from choir mm-hmm. practice and um, I've actually never told the story in public, okay? Was so, this before you were dating Brianna, your so wife? This before I was dating okay. Brianna. And um, I was driving home from choir practice, and it was dark. Mm-hmm. And I just suddenly felt like the world was a very dark place. And I was driving with a buddy of mine, 
And I even asked him about it, like, do you struggle with religious doubt? And I think he said, yeah, like sometimes it's so intense it scares me. And I said, I basically said, yeah, me too. And then I drove home and that night, like, I was just shaking, like I couldn't sleep. I was shaking so much. I, I was just, just dealing with this intense, um, just this intense, like, mm. does God exist? And was there something that triggered it especially? And maybe you don't want to share it because it's really personal, but... You know, that's funny that you asked that because when I look back on it, there certainly wasn't one single event. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it had been building. I, I realize in retrospect that it had been building for at least six or eight months. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember like writing a paper for school, for college, about the problem of evil and, and it mm-hmm. really hitting yeah. me then. And it would just, I would just get waves of it and I would just, it would churn my stomach and I would just feel so sick. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't I would just go okay that's fine I can I can pray and eventually this does go away and I wake up the next morning and I feel better, but then in November 2014 that stopped working. I I would wake up the next morning and I I wouldn't feel better. I would feel the same or worse. Almost it would for a while waking up was a real trial because whatever I was waking up from whatever dreams there were that couldn't possibly be as bad as waking up into this reality where I wasn't sure if God existed because, you know, my faith is just mm-hmm. so central to my life. It was then, it is mm-hmm. now. And and so, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't have to talk about this for the whole podcast, but, but what basically... Was doubt part about? Was it, like, th- just his existence, his goodness? Because I think there's yeah. a lot of different doubts we can face as Christians. There are, there are so many different mm-hmm. um, doubts. And, and I think this is actually really important, so I'm glad you're sharing it. Um, it is I think a lot of us can relate to that. Yeah. You know, it, it's something that, like, so many people do experience religious doubt, which is why we're talking about it today. It's, um, you know, yeah. In terms of, like, what specifically made me doubt, I just, I think it was just, like, everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it wasn't like, what did Noah's flood happen? You know, like, that was not, right. it wasn't one individual event. I guess it was probably, if it was anything, it was, does the universe seem like God created it? Oh, yes. And another one was, um, do Christians act as if they really have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Like, yeah. Are, are Christians actually, like, advancing in sanctification? Like, I, I see I, I see in myself. Like, I remember I was, I was at, in, in the commons room at uh, college, um, and I noticed I caught myself uh, doing something, um, what's the word, selfless. Um, I don't remember what it was. Something like uh, filling up a, a water container for somebody uh, without them asking. And just something stupid and small. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm doing something selfless. This is so good. Because I was really becoming cynical. So yeah. cynic, cynicism means that you just really, um, you're, you're de- de- despising a human nature and just the, 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 the sin nature that's in you. And you're not expecting anything good from yourself or from the people around you. So cynicism is very dangerous, and it was a sin that I had fallen into, separate from, um, separate from the religious doubt. So, um, uh, so just a couple of days later, I was absolutely prostrated by this. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I was in a park, and I was just absolutely sobbing. And I was talking to my brother who was there, and with me, and I was just sobbing and just saying like, why can't I feel 
God's presence mm-hmm. anymore because mm-hmm. up until that point, I just had had, whenever I would pray, I would just have the sense that God was hearing me and it, it was just gone. It was like the light had turned mm-hmm. off. And that was, that was the single most scary part. So fast forward um, a year, I, I think about whether during this time I'm talking to my pastor every week. And I, I just want to shout out to Pastor Toby Sumter, uh, who was oh, then yeah. of Trinity Reformed Church and in Moscow, Idaho, and now works for uh, Christ Church in um, Moscow, Idaho. And he helped me so much during that time. And there are so many, so many people who did help me. Um, um, Dr. Mitch Stokes, who is an author, apologist, college professor, uh, he helped me deal with a lot of these doubts. Uh, Toby. The, the great thing about the way he helped me is he never let me get off easily. Mm. And the the one thing, actually, you know what, I'm going to say this to the end. He told me one thing which I have never forgotten, mm. and it really helped me, uh, bringing it back to the dissertation, mm-hmm. it really helped me analyze um, the Victorians. So, so I, I had my crisis of faith. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, over time... Nothing, um, I didn't have a single, I had some really bad moments, um, um, just horrible moments and, and days in which I would basically act as if God didn't exist. And mm. let me tell you, that made me a very bad person. Mm. Um, but I, I just slowly um, came back to a place, instead of just hoping Christianity was true, I could, got back to a place where I could believe that it was true. And over time, um, since then that was eight years ago almost or seven years ago and since that time i've you know have occasional um times where i feel religious doubt sometimes very strongly but never as intensely as that first time so um so when i started studying history i started my master's degree in 2019 and, and where are you getting your where did you get your master's at from? the university of Edinburgh. it's an online program which is actually great because it didn't have to change at all during COVID. Mm-hmm. um so when I started reading history and I started encountering um, the Victorians, and the Victorians are just broadly British people who lived during the reign of Queen Victoria, which was 1837 to 1901, and uh, there's something called the Victorian crisis of faith. And so the, the idea of a whole society going through a crisis of faith, a whole society confronting yeah. religious doubt, that was flipping intense to me. Yeah. And so that was what I chose to study. And I, I read some great books uh, about that. Um, one of them was called Crisis of Doubt by a professor at Wheaton College in Illinois, a Christian guy uh, named Timothy Larson. And so he's saying, well, okay, there was a crisis of faith, yes, but there was also a crisis of doubt in that during this time when all these people were supposedly losing their faith, there was also this movement where all these popular atheist apologists, yeah, there were atheist apologists in the Victorian era, you know, it's kind of surprising, but they were also, many of them were converting or reconverting to Christianity. So, um, so was, uh, that was a really cool book to read. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I just want, first I want to say, Moses, yeah. thank you so much for sharing that with us, because I think it's hard, um, I think it's really important for Christians to normalize this in a sense, in that a lot of Christians struggle with doubt. I've struggled with it in my life, and I think the more we talk about it, the more we can find that commonality and, and yeah. realize that is a pretty normal thing, and it doesn't make you alone. And honestly, for me and for Moses, it has made our faith so much stronger because I've got, gone through that phase of thinking through it, really praying through it, um, and not just um, taking it a, a more flippantly, if, if you will. Not saying that I've, most people do that, but I, that was true for me. And so thank you for sharing because I, th- I think that's a really important message. Um, so I'm really interested, though, 
in your research, doing so much research about the Victorians, about how, how they began to doubt, what was it that made them doubt their faith? Were there multiple factors, one main one? So um, this was, you know, it's actually interesting because some historians will say that the Victorians were the first moderns. So mm-hmm. the first people who just think about the world, think about their own lives in the same way that we do. And obviously, in, uh, when I first heard that, I was like, whatever, these people wearing hoop skirts, you know? But, it, but uh, when you, when you learn dresses. more about it, it's like the development of things like the telegraph and mm. the steam engine. So the telegraph, almost instantaneous communication, mm-hmm. the steam engine, transportation is suddenly uh, faster than the pace a man or a woman can walk or a horse can run. And, um, and, and just... The, and the societal changes of the Industrial Revolution and so forth, and then also things like the abolition movement, yeah. which is just such a, a, a movement that just, um, uh, well, like if you study the British abolition movement, like it was economically bad for the British to pursue abolition. They had their, their, their slaves, the, 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 horrib- the horrifying fact that they had enslaved people was worth so much money to them. Mm-hmm. And yet, William Wilberforce and others were still able to push that across uh, and and get slavery abolished, and so like moral questions were becoming so important to the whole society mm-hmm. in this mass way, in the same way that they are today with things like, uh, for better or for worse, climate change and so forth. So um, so the Victorians are kind of like us, and just in the same way, they were f- they were faced with some of the same doubts. Um, so pr- specifically, two things. Um, higher criticism of the Bible. So this idea that we need to treat the Bible like any other piece of literature if there are, uh, let's say, that there are apparent contradictions in the Bible. Well, we need to treat those as, as real contradictions. And then we need to explain why this might have occurred. And, and we, don't start from the, we don't start from the belief that God inspired scriptures. We don't start from that belief. We start from, this is just a human document. Jesus was a great teacher. So I have a historical question for you. Yeah. It, it's really small, but was this around the same time that a bunch of German theologians were kind of questioning a lot of what the founding, or the uh, the early church fathers had, had argued for, and a lot of the creeds and things they had come up with the councils? Was that happening at around the same time? Yes. I, yeah? think, I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. And yes. So, so the, the higher criticism started in Germany. Yeah. And, okay. Um, and, it, and it was, um, it was people like um, uh, Renan, his name, hmm. uh, and, and Strauss, um, both of them wrote books called The Life of Jesus. Um, I think one of them was French and one of them was German. And it's basically like telling a life of the life of Jesus if you don't trust the Gospels, basically, right? That's interesting. And George Eliot, the novelist, um, oh, who uh, yeah. she was very involved in this. She was someone, she's a prototypical doubter yeah. because she was, she was brought up in this really evangelical home. She had a very faithful family. But then when she was about 20 years old, she's like, I just don't believe this anymore. Mm-hmm. And her father actually like kicked her out of the house and wow. uh, there was just all this drama, and then eventually, uh, she was like, "Okay, I'll I'll come home. I'll go to church as long as I can think my own thoughts while I'm in church." Mm-hmm. Because church attendance, this type of legalism, was very prominent then. Um, and and so, and then and she actually she wrote uh, her great books, but also uh, her real name was Marianne Evans, <laughs> if you haven't heard of her. But she went by a male yeah. pseudonym, George Eliot. Um, but she actually translated one of these books, The Life of Jesus, into English okay. from German. And um, so she, that was, I think, 1843, I think, or 1853. Yeah. So she was bringing um, this, these 
really skeptical ideas mm. into she and others were bringing these skeptical ideas in and then and darwin probably also the yeah. rise of modern philosophy too we're studying that in his in school right now mm, yeah. uh, just with skepticism becoming so much more popular and subjectivism too yeah so i don't know i'm just thinking through all these things uh in addition since we're covering like this period yeah. in, in school right now so it's interesting to, like we just talked about george Eliot in class yesterday okay. oh, which wow. is so funny that's um, crazy yeah but yeah so they were began doubting their faith because of all of these people that were writing and, and questioning and querying and, and, and kind of, would you say deconstructing almost? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? That's exactly okay. what it was. Yep. And, and the funny thing is, it really does go back to Hume. It goes mm-hmm. back further, but it goes back to David Hume, the Scottish philosopher. But he was writing in like the 1740s. And we're not talking about like the 1850s and 60s. And what happened in the meantime, actually, was this huge evangelical revival. Mm-hmm. The evangelical revival, the Great Awakening in the United States, but also like uh, the arrivals of Whitfield and John Wesley, the Wesley brothers. And all of that happened. The, the evangelical movement, in, in a sense, started and became so strong um, in Britain and in the United States. And, and then kind of at, this, at the peak of that, um, this, this doubt came in and yeah. it made the whole institution kind of wobble, especially in England. And it, was it kind of these philosophers, theologians and such, trying to, get, trying to get back to a fundamental truth that they could base their beliefs off of? Was that what they were seeing in Victorian England too? Or was it, were they trying to deconstruct it in another way? Because kind of what, what I've, I've been gathering, at least from the ph- philosophical perspective, is they were trying to, a lot of philosopher, philosophers based everything off of reason and had that as a starting point. And it was like kind of like, the I think, the problem of the one and the many from like Aristotelian oh, yeah. times. We don't need to wow. get into the weeds, yeah, though. Yeah, that's, that's deep. <laughs> that's deep. I don't know if our podcast listeners care about that. This is a very academic episode. Sorry. This is. Well, I'm going to make it more literary now because what you're talking about is reminding me so mm. much of one of the key texts of the Victorian crisis of, pa- of faith, which is the poem Dover Beach by Matthew mm. Arnold, which I'm going to read. The sea is calm tonight. The tide is full. The moon lies fair upon the straits. On the French coast, the light gleams and is gone. The cliffs of England stand, glimmering and vast, out in the tranquil bay. Come to the window, sweet is the night air. Only from the long line of spray, where the sea meets the moon-blanched land, listen. You hear the grating roar of pebbles, which the waves draw back and fling, at their return up the high strand, begin and cease, and then again begin, but with tremulous cadence slow, and bring the eternal note of sadness in. Sophocles long ago heard it on the Aegean, and it brought into his mind the turbid ebb and flow of human misery. Mm. We find also in the sound a thought, hearing it by this distant northern sea. The sea of faith was once too at the full, and round earth's shore lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled. But now I only hear its melancholy long withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath of the night wind, down the vast edges drear and naked shingles of the world. Ah, love, let us be true to one another. For the world which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams, so various, so beautiful, so new, hath really neither joy, nor love, nor light, nor certitude, nor peace, nor help for pain. And we are here as on a darkling plain, swept with confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. Hmm. Which, I mean, it's such a great poem. So... Basically, for Matthew Arnold, who was um, the the headmaster of this very prominent school called Rugby Rugby School, he was he saw faith, you know, uh, as something that like an ocean is perpetually receding, 
it's never like the tide always comes in and out every day and if you live near the ocean that's just something mm-hmm. that's ingrained in you but but the sea of faith was mm-hmm. just draining just going away just disappearing yeah and the victorians felt a, this huge sense of loss that's the biggest thing like yeah. they they many of them desperately wanted to believe in christianity and found that mm-hmm. they could not so a lot of Christians are in that boat, I think, or, I think, I think or a lot of just people, people yeah. I should say, are, are in that boat of like, yeah. I saw, um, so recently I've actually been anonymously using TikTok to try to gauge what people are doing on there sure. for, for comms, because I actually think that could be a useful tool for us, which yeah, we can talk about yeah, that later, but mm-hmm. someone was talking about, um, uh, totally just blanked, it was, it was applicable, but it was something about Oh, this was, it was a TikTok. Okay. I have this girl. And she said, um, I really want to believe in Christianity. It just, it seems so good, like such a good thing. And, and I'm drawn to it and I, I want to believe it, but can anyone give me one good reason? Like that it's true that, that a God does exist and that he loves me. Yeah. And I went to the comments of course, cause I wanted to see what people had said and I didn't have a user, so I couldn't comment anything, but I, it was crazy um just people to- tons of christians on there actually opening up and, and sharing their testimony oh, and i thought so great. we've talked about before like what yeah. we think about tiktok yeah. how it can be really really bad for children um yeah. just sexualizing children but it was cool that the lord really the holy spirit moved in her heart and then that got so many views so many christians saw that and then were able to reach out to her and say hey this is the lord speaking to you um and, and explaining their experience and so I don't know. That just made me think of that. And I thought that, that was is, really interesting. That is so wonderful. I yeah. think I, I pray for people like that. Um, and yeah, that's what the yeah. Victorians felt. They felt they, instead of that girl who probably has not believed in Christianity before, but now mm-hmm. wants to believe in it. The, these are people who felt that they could no longer believe in it, but still wanted to. And, and they were looking for reasons. And so it was, a really, it was a really confusing time, and they really struggled. And one of the big problems, and th- this is what I argue in my dissertation, mm-hmm. essentially, and I'm, I'm, obviously I'm really giving the short version. Uh, the dissertation was about almost 70, it was 71 pages. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was very long. But basically, my argument is that the, the failure, the problem was of apologetics. And uh, apologetics, um, as you know, is, is the defense of the faith. And um, apologetics is obviously very important when, um, when you encounter religious doubt. Now, ultimately, is it the single most important thing? Actually, no, because uh, God's word and, and your personal mm-hmm. spiritual life mm-hmm. is separate and um, more important than because s- apologetic you arguments. you can have all the head knowledge, especially if you're raised in a Christian family right. or a pastor's kid, you know, have the head knowledge, know the right answers, be that perfect kid in Sunday school, but not have that relationship, that personal relationship with the Lord. That's exactly right. So you need to have that. And also, yeah, so like um, it, there's so many great arguments for God. In fact, you could even say that they're, they're, w- without God's existence, it's really hard to make the world make sense. And many uh, very smart philosophers have believed that for centuries, including right now. And you can know that intellectually and still struggle with Christian doubt, mm-hmm. which is why apologetics is a problem. Uh, it can be a problem. So, yeah. um, so they face these pressures, right? Yeah. So they, yeah. Um, kind of building off of that. I mean, you can add more onto what those mm-hmm. pressures were too, but I feel like you've explained it really well. Do you feel like those pressures that they were facing still exist in our world today? I mean, I know I mm-hmm. talked about that girl that I saw on TikTok, yeah. but do you think it's 
widespread? Do you think people doubt their faith maybe for different reasons? And I think that's a, a hard historio his historiographical. Is that a is that a word? Historiographical. Historiographical. See, yeah. my history teacher would be so so upset that I messed that up because <laughs> um, that's a word he uses a lot. But uh, do you think that they that there are different reasons today? Because I know there is doubt, but maybe they're different. I'm not sure. No, no. It's so. First of all, I think we are in a crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. The strong, the likes of which. Our, uh, the English-speaking world has not seen since the mid-Victorian era. And, and the, the American church is being tested by so many things. But I think, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this like, it's the, the, like I know this to be true, but my suspicion is that religious doubt is really underpinning a lot of the struggles that the church mm -hmm. is going through without making itself known. So... When you think about the phenomenon, so just one first thing, when you look at surveys, we've talked about the rise of the nuns, people who will put none on their survey of their religious affiliation. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that I think something like, I don't know, 20 or 30 percent of the American population says that they are no longer religiously affiliated, when that number was something like a, a small fraction of that 20 years ago. So what has happened? Yeah, people are disaffiliating with the church that they grew up in. Now, generally, these are people who didn't grow up in a Bible-believing home and then left the faith. People like that tend, you know, a majority, a large majority of them are going to persist in the faith. But people who grew up, let's say, a liberal, uh, a liberal household, but they went to church a couple times a year, uh, and liberal, I mean liberal religiously, then they come to be adults and they are just like, I don't know. In my gender studies class, they said God is a constructive male power or something and then they, and then boom they don't they, they, they don't call themselves Christians anymore so so we're going through this huge we are going through this huge crisis and mm -hmm. when you look at like the ex-evangelicals um, people like Josh Harris the the guy who wrote um, I kissed dating goodbye and a bunch of other oh, books and, yeah, yeah. and then later he went on to leave the leave the faith and what you often see and it's actually it's 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 there's Babylon B articles about about this. It's such a trend. You they all say the same things like oh, no no no. I study the Bible this much, and you're like, and and some people will point out, well, you know, the, the actually there's this obvious thing that you missed, but they're off. They they will almost always say. Um, mm -hmm. The treatment of our LGBTQ brothers yes, and sisters yes. has been horrible. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And uh, like that is one of the things that makes people doubt their faith. Or it's an expression of the, the doubt that they already had. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What I think, and obviously I'm I'm generalizing, so I'm not saying everyone fits into this boat. But among my generation, I've a, I know a lot of people, a good amount of people, I should say. And specifically some people that used to go to my school, not during my time, but then left. And I follow them and I can see what they post. They kind of, they, they leave the faith, I think, because they're, some, some of them, not all of them, some of them left the faith because they got a little bit uncomfortable because the gospel, the gospel is offensive, right? They got a little uncomfortable and they felt like they couldn't be loving towards the world mm -hmm. and, and be a Christian. And the fault of that ultimately is churches because churches need to be equipping us uh, with how to deal with that. And um, Moses is right. Like with my generation, what I see widespread on social media, is just this mass exodus from the church because they want to be loving. They want to be tolerated by the world and accepted by the world. And yet, uh, and they and they realize that they can't be if they're Christian, and so then they leave the church, and that's 
that's what's really saddening to me because where in the Bible did Jesus say that you're going to be loved by the world if, if you follow me? He said, yeah, yeah, he said the opposite. Yeah. He said the opposite, right? He said, he said, take up your cross, follow me. And, and he said, you will be hated by the world, right? And that doesn't mean we are ca- called to be rude or, or arrogant or condescending towards those who disagree with us or those who are living in sin because all of us are sinners. But rather, we need to speak that truth in love. And, and if the Holy Spirit convicts us, um, of a belief that we've been holding or a way that we've been living that's contrary to the Bible, yes. that shouldn't cause us to go leave the church, bash it, and say, this is why I left the church, because they're so unloving. Rather, it should draw us closer to the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And so that's just what I'm seeing from some people in my generation. Yeah. I don't know if that's something you've seen, but I feel like that's what I would pinpoint. I don't even know if it's yeah. so much doubt. It, I'm sure that there's doubt involved in it, but it almost is like a rejection, which is very sad. And I don't know yeah. if we're at a rejection point in culture. This mm-hmm. is totally me just thinking on the spot here. Yeah. Maybe it's more my generation that's just the rejection. Like they don't want, they want the world more than they, they want the world's love more yeah. than they want the Lord. I think I think that's that's a good point. So like it doesn't even rise necessarily to the level of explicitly religious doubt. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's more like... Um, Christianity is morally unacceptable right. and to our say, culture. I believe in a loving God. Like these girls, or people that I follow, are like, yeah. I, I believe in a loving God, but Christianity doesn't teach that. So I, I believe in the God, the Christian God, some will say, but I don't believe what Christians practice because they're not loving almost. Which wow, that's how weird. original. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to be super critical because like it is hard. And mm-hmm. I, I, w- I will, w- one thing that's interesting, have you ever heard of Aaron Wren? No, no. Okay. He's a really cool guy and he, um, He's involved with something called, I think it's called the American Reformer. Hmm. I will look that up. But he has this he has this framework where, where he's just very simple, and I like that. Basically, he says that up until, let's say, about 1994, it was generally, in the United States, culturally, a good thing to be a Christian. It was a societal good. If you were a mm-hmm. Christian, that added to your social credit, as it were. And then he says from like 1994 to like 2015 or so, uh, the Obergefell decision, it was a neutral world. It was, it, was, it was okay to be a Christian. It was okay to not be a Christian. Um, it, sort of like in terms of cultural power, was you no longer got social credit for being a Christian. Yep. And it, this is, it is quite simple. It could even be called simplistic, but I think it's true. And then he says, since 2015, we've been living in a negative world. Net loss rather than net gain or yeah. net neutrality. Yeah, you know? we're, we're basically, you tell someone that you're Christian and... They automatically, boom, like you're lowest yeah, of the it's, low. It's like, they're, they're like they treat you, not like you're, you just told them that you torture puppies. It's, right. it's more like you're just like, they treat you like your clothes They are doubt your dirty. credibility, I would say, for in my experiences. That's it, yeah. Because, they doubt your credibility. Right, because exactly. they're like, oh, you're a Christian. Well, that, that's why, like, you're only pro-life because of that, and so I can't trust you. I'm not going to listen to you. Which, right. Yeah, so I agree with that. It so, has, yeah, there's this huge divide between believers and non-believers, whereas mm-hmm. it used to be that everybody who was a non-believer grew up in a religious home, so they at least knew what they were rejecting. And, and it was if, culturally accepted, too, and, and right. it was expected, too, that you would right. be Christian or at least in name. So right. um, I think this is a really good conversation, honestly, and it's making me think a lot. How did, I'm interested, how did the Victorians respond to the doubt that they were facing? Because maybe there's some things that we can learn uh, in today's age from, from how they responded to it. I mean, I hope so, because like if we look at what the Victorians went through, and we look at what we're going through today, I really think there are similarities. And the Victorians had a tough time. Um, essentially, they had, uh, they really relied a lot on apologetic arguments. Mm-hmm. More than, um, yes, certainly this, 
this um it's dangerous to rely on the emotions as well it's dangerous to say well i feel like god loves, loves me so therefore he does because what if one day you no longer feel that way and that's just not that's not a stable uh, place for your your assurance and your faith's arrest but they they place a lot of emphasis on the argument from design which basically is that um, the universe appears to uh, the universe and humans appear mm-hmm. to be designed so like why are we able to stand upright? Why are we so much more intelligent than animals? Why, why do we have these incredible, useful, grasping uh, hands? Why are we able to run faster than most mammals, at least for short distances? Well, at least, <laughs> why are we able to outwit all the large predators that are bigger and scarier than us? Why is our world the only world that's Basically, that has life? Basically, there's something different and unique about humans, right? Yeah, what's different and, so, and unique about humans? Yeah. What's different and unique about the Earth that makes it the only world that we are aware of that's, uh, that, that, is, uh, that has life and, and so forth? And so they, they put a lot, of, um, uh, a lot of, they put all their cards in that basket, or their, all their eggs in that basket, right? And then Darwin came along, and Darwin said, well, if you just, um, if you just take this process over a nearly infinite amount of time, then anything can be explained through random mutation and change. And I think, well, first of all, like, it is, it is like, many people have pointed this out, but it's, li- li- it's really a cop-out to say, I mean, yeah, over, um, like, the, 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 um, the, the analogy is, if you give a, a, a group of apes an infinite amount of time and a bunch of typewriters, they would eventually type out um, the complete works of Shakespeare in order. That's the analogy to mm-hmm. evolution. So evolution is those apes who finally um, actually did do this, right? And if that seems unlikely to you, then yeah, but that is the evolutionist, um, the evolutionist uh, account of reality. And it, it's no more uh, plausible now than it was then. I, I, I reject it. And yet, it, it does have a certain plausibility for many Christians and for many people uh, uh, at large. So the Victorians struggled with that. They, they weren't able to immediately uh, roll with the punches mm-hmm. and, and move to something different. So um, uh, they really just had, they had a lot of problems with that. Um, I think that the Victorians actually didn't uh, have a great response mm-hmm. um, to this. They, they looked to scientific discoveries mm-hmm. as the, each new scientific discovery as if it was going to give them proof of God's existence. Um, and that was, that was the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. And really, you, you, they lost ground because of that. However, and so I, I will say the person who did get it right is C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, so writing in the early 1940s in, in Mere Christianity, which was a, originally a series of lectures delivered um, over the BBC to the British population during World War II. He is arguing for uh, Christianity as something more personal, humbler, more chastened. Um, it's, it's, um, it claims less in, in the mm-hmm. sense that like it doesn't necessarily claim to be able to explain everything. I mean, Christianity does explain everything. It makes sense of everything. But that's an actually a distinction. It it it, yeah. it it makes sense of everything in the world, in the universe, in our lives, without explaining everything. Yeah, does here's something my my uh, professor, who's a philosopher, he says this all the time, and I think it, it's really helpful and and drives home your point. But like, if you're a Christian, obviously uh, the Bible is your ultimate source of knowledge, and you're reading that, you're in the Word. But if you if you're 
uh, car breaks down. You're not going to go to your Bible and say, the Bible will tell me how to fix my car, right? right. You're going to go to the mechanic, and the mechanic is going to fix it. And he, the mechanic isn't going to go to the Bible and say, oh, well, this, the spark plugs aren't working. What does the Bible say, right? And so we, we know and we believe that the Bible is our ultimate source of truth and knowledge and the basis for truth. But at the same time, it's not a guidebook for every single little thing you're going to encounter in life. Is, kind, is that kind of what you were meaning? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You have to. You have to ask, ask God for and ask prudence. Ask. Well, you have to ask God for what He promises to give, mm-hmm. not things that He doesn't promise to give, like complete certainty. Paul, yeah. uh, our writer of Hebrews, um, <laughs> I'm going to forget the reference, but. I uh, see through a glass darkly, mm, right? Yes. And, and that, that glass is 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 sin and death. Those those are separating us from 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 truth. So, if I can if I can bring this in for a landing, yeah. Um, for um, so I actually oh yeah, yeah bring the section into the landing, and then I have one follow up question for sure, you just sure. for our audience. Yeah. So so for the Victorians, um, they ultimately they put too much uh, trust both in their emotions and in their mind. Mm. And um, and really, they should have read Luther because for Luther and, and all the reformers, um, God is revealed primarily on the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, which is as verifiable as an, a, a, a historical event as really there ever was. That actually happened. Jesus is who he says he is. And that fact makes everything else true. Um, and so this is uh, Luther's phrase, fancy Latin phrase, theologia crucis, the theology, the theology of the cross, and that's just so important. So then, human reason, all the evidence and rationality that does ultimately pale in comparison to God's self-revelation yeah. through Jesus on the cross. And the the Victorians made that mistake. They used science. They used everything. They used literature. They used philosophy. They used everything to come up with this almost like a Tower of Babel. That was just they were not doing what would honor God, and so and so he he broke it apart in terms of their apologetic arguments. But if we go back to say C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. and if we go to um, Elvin Plantinga, not a very uh, common, well-known name, but he's one of the most uh, profound philosophers of our era, and he he has this amazing defense of Christian belief called warranted Christian belief. Basically, the idea is that if you um, to, to believe Christi- Christianity axiomatically, that is, with no prior a priori logical proofs. Mm. Like, you don't say, A, uh, there are, we are a, so therefore academic. God exists. What you say? We are so academic right yeah, now. I know, I know. But I'm I talking... hope this isn't boring to you guys. No, I was yeah. going to say, I really don't think this is boring. I think this is so good. I think... I, ho- I know this is really theological and like hist- historical in, in, in a, that's just how it feels and it is, but I think it's it's really refreshing um, sometimes to take a step back from politics. Like we're very much for engaging with culture, but looking back in history, seeing how other Christians engaged with culture, seeing the trials that they faced and how they overcame them is so important for us as Christians. I mean, yes. it's so encouraging and it's really, it's crucial for us to know our history. And it's also encouraging to me to hear your personal story and how, how you even trigger you encourage you to research this and um yeah i think in closing um i'd love to hear maybe what you what advice you would have for someone who's struggling with doubt if they're a christian yeah or if they're yeah if they're a christian and they grew up in a christian home or maybe they are thinking about christianity and they're not sure if it if it's true and yeah maybe just what the bible says about responding to it and maybe even action steps for someone struggling because I think action steps are really important and helpful for our listeners. Oh, so absolutely. So um, 
going back to what Pastor Toby Sumter told me, which I yeah. said at the, end, at the beginning of the episode that I would tell you, he said, doubt your doubts. Hmm. And many people have probably heard that phrase, but I want to tease out what that actually means. Um, or in another way, the poet John Donne said, doubt wisely. And, um, and, and so there's a, way, there's a way to doubt that, um, uh, so the Bible, the Bible condemns doubt, right? It, doubt is a bad thing. Is it a sin? Not in every instance, no, certainly not. Because um, there's the faith-seeking understanding, right? Like mm. that involves doubt. That's, um, I think, Tertullian. Yeah, yeah, or, or Anselm. I don't remember which one. <laughs> the the like point being the idea that like our our faith walk is going to involve doubt, and that's fine. But if we're intentionally doubting, if we're the double-minded man mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. James uh, James one talks about, obviously that's that's sinful. So so we need to um, we need to we need to come back to a place of how how do we how do we entertain these thoughts in our minds without uh, stepping out of bounds and w- with w- without pursuing these things in a way that's that's wrong and that's going to lead us into bad places and doubting your doubts is um really powerful and <laughs> it's kind of like um it's gonna i think i'm gonna sound a little bit like soren kierkegaard here for a second <laughs> because when you really look at it and you really look at all the different explanations for why the world is the way it is and why we are the way we are and why our lives are the way they are um there's various explanations. There's the materialist explanation, the Darwinian mm-hmm. explanation, or whatever you want to call it. And then there's the Christian explanation, the Hindu explanation. And, um, and there's, there's, each of them has strong points, uh, and each of them has weak points. There are, uh, there are things that, after the fall, in our weak mortal bodies and minds, we simply cannot explain. We need to have a better place and role for mystery and, and being able to just say, that is a holy mystery, and we cannot divine the depths of it, right? But if we say, the thing that I believe, or the, even the thing that I want to believe, mm-hmm. is not actually less likely right. than the things everyone else believes. Like, I, I, I want to believe in Christianity. I also think that Christianity is most likely, and I could argue for hours with you if you disagree with me. Not you, Grace. I'm talking to the, anybody who Surprise! Yeah. Your atheist uh, co-host. No. Exactly. <laughs> That would be weird if I had done this whole podcast episode. Psych. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like, mm. so um, honestly, like, I I did in, in August. I had like a two hour mm. conversation with an atheist, and oh, wow. I came away uh, at the U. I was a student at the U. I was at a student event, and um, I came away thinking, "Holy mackerel!" I mean, this guy was smart as a whip. Mm-hmm. He came up with this system. It was absolutely nuts. It, it, it like no, I I never heard it before. It was kind of like a cross between. It was very Nietzschean, like a cross between Nietzsche and Kierkegaard. And he was like, I don't even have to take belief seriously because what? Like, so, but the thing when like, it just it, it wasn't any more plausible than what I was. You saying. have to have it's less plausible. Honestly. Oh, less like, plausible. Su- yeah. I don't know. People always turn to sub- subjectivity when they try to talk about the world without God because then there's no moral code. And when you do that, it falls into chaos because then it's like, well, if everything is subjective, how can what you're saying be true? I don't know. I just feel like it falls apart. I think and the objectivity-subjectivity thing is – I just want to say – sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, no good. You're but good. One thing is that, like, I actually do think truth is subjective. Hmm. I think it's subjective to the person of God because I don't think there is objective reality outside of God's existence, right? And God is a person, a subject. So in that sense – and yet God is so ultimate. 
If he's omnipresent. He's omnipresent. He's he can't lie. He's um, he's eternal. So like it's not it's it maybe it maybe it's so wait, a subtle so what you thing. said again though because you said what did you say was it that truth? truth is subjective because God is a subject and truth is grounded in Him. Basically, that's my. I don't know if that really applies to what you're saying. I'm sorry. Okay, well, we don't have to get into the weeds because I know this is already a long episode, but mm, maybe talk about that later. I don't know. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what I was going to say is, I mean, obviously there's so many different ways of thinking about, you know, uh, just your belief system. There's so many different belief systems. One of the more common ones, obviously, is atheism and, like, Big Bang, stuff like that. And so what Moses is saying is so true because it's less plausible to believe that the world was created by an explosion because explosions don't... They don't create, they, they don't create destroy, matter. right? Yeah. So if you think about it, I mean, just what you're saying is so true about how it, there's just what we believe in is so much more plausible. And so one brief example is just with the Big Bang. A lot of people believe mm. in that uh, explosions do not create. They always destroy. And mm-hmm. so it's much more plausible to believe in a higher being that created the world out of his goodness and out of his own being than, than a, an explosion that destroyed something. And yeah. so that's just one example. And so I definitely agree. I uh, want to bring this in for a landing. Uh, give you the last word, of course. Uh, loved hearing your thoughts. And also I want to say, if there's a, let's just say a teenager who's listening to this podcast episode and he or she is really doubting their faith um, and has listened to this episode and they, they want some action steps, they're wondering whether or not Christianity is true, Would you, what are some action steps you would give them? Quick, simple, and just to the point, things that they can do as a teenager. I mean, any age listening, but especially teens, because I think this is really affecting my generation. It is, yeah, and and I hate I hate seeing that. So first of all, Email me, Moses at mfc.org. I'd love to talk with anybody who's struggling with doubt. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've been there. Um, I can't answer all your questions probably, but I would love to talk with you. And um, the second thing would obviously be to talk to, uh, in fact, the first thing you should do is talk to a pastor because they're going to be much more, uh, they're, they're going to know more. Like when, when I was in that situation, talking to a pastor was my lifeline. And because uh, I, I felt like I couldn't pray. Mm-hmm. Reading the Bible was hard. Um, and, and so, so just talk with people and, 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 and honestly, the more family members, close friends that you can confide in, uh, especially if they're uh, Christians. Um, although I actually (laughs) told this when I was dealing with this, I told it to my, my, uh, non, non non-Christian friends and and relatives. And actually some of them were quite helpful. So, but, uh, and then, so talk to, uh, your pastor, email me if you'd like. And then the third thing would be to uh, to read the Bible and pray. Mm-hmm. And it will be hard. And I want to say that there was probably six months where I was just reading the Psalms. <laughs> that was the only part of the Bible I could read. And there's this amazing thing in Psalm 73 where mm-hmm. um, we actually talked about this in the episode with Carl Truman. He brought it up. And so um, it's a Psalm of Asaph. And uh, and so the, the author is saying, man, just things are bad. The righteous are being trampled down and the wicked prosper. This doesn't make any sense. How is God, how can God good? Does the most high have knowledge? And then, um, uh, surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then, uh, towards the end of the, the poem, uh, the, the Psalm, mm-hmm. um, uh, he says, um, uh, until I entered God's sanctuary. So coming to church, honestly, was how he answered my questions. Uh, he answered mm. these questions. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and later receive me in glory. 
Whom have I in heaven but you? Mm. And on earth I desire no one beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I, yeah. there, there is comfort. There I, is comfort. Last night uh, at community group, we were talking about some things like this, and it was really good because if you – I think it's really easy to pray and to thank God for things. That's what I do. But for me, I really struggle with, like, asking him for things. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a position and you're doubting, um, you're not alone. But also, you need to ask God. Ask him to work in your heart. Ask him to reveal himself to you, to uh, make himself known to you. Ask him for that relationship. Just ask him for His for you to feel his presence. Yes. Because the Bible talks about this all the time. Like, if you ask, he will answer. You know, the door is open. So don't be afraid to ask. And sometimes it's really hard because you feel like you're asking, you're crying out. And if the Lord is withholding something from you, it's, it is part of his plan as hard as that is to hear. And he's going to use it to bring you that much closer to him. And he's going to use that suffering to build your faith stronger. Like, I firmly believe that. That is 100% true. Um, the Bible says suffering produces character. And, and that can even extend to this feeling of God's absence. It really is a common a common feeling for many people and but the thing is it's not new. Christians have struggled with this for uh, throughout throughout the the decades and I, I want to just close with the words of St. Thomas, mm. the 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 proto doubter, um, the first person really to doubt Jesus as a Christian. And um, and and Jesus said uh, put your put your finger in my side, right? Mm-hmm. And Thomas says, Thomas is overcome. He just says, my Lord and my God. And, um, and, and, and Jesus replies, um, you see and now you believe. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And that's us. We, we have, mm-hmm. to be, we have, uh, we have uh, belief in this veil of tears in this, where, we, where we can't have full 100% clear clarity on, on what is, what is um, what is out there, and yet, and yet, we can have this confidence in Christ's death and resurrection that does provide the comfort that Grace talks about. It is the answer to our prayers. So, thank you for watching this very, very different episode of the Family Beacon, and um, and we're so glad that you can join us. And w- today, we really did stand for truth. I think, um, yeah, the w- less facts this week about politics and news and more truth about God and his word. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you're up to date on life, family, and religious freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at MN Family Council and subscribe to us on YouTube to watch our content. Get the facts, stand for truth. Thank you.